0: Jcastnetwork.org.
1: Shalom. Welcome to Daily Daft Differently. I'm Rabbi Joshua Heller. Today we're studying Masachet Eruvin 68, where amongst a discussion of Betul, relinquishing rights, we have a window on the question of the role of rabbis in communal life. Are there tasks that are beneath the rabbi? Or perhaps there are limitations in the roles that rabbis are able to play because of their position, and where laypeople need to take the lead. Ardaf picks up with a story that began on the previous one, of a courtyard where two sages, Rabbah and Abaye, lived. There was a bris scheduled to take place for a baby on Shabbat, and the hot water had spilled out. As you may recall, on Shabbat 132, a bris on the correct day supersedes the Shabbat, even though normally we might not do things like cut or draw blood on the Sabbath. However, there are auxiliary activities, like preparing hot water for the baby, that do not supersede Shabbat and need to be done beforehand. This type of situation where the hot water spilled is commonly referred to as a case of such an auxiliary activity that comes up on the Sabbath. And I don't know why this is the case. Were people just clumsier back then? But remember also that heating water and keeping it warm required a lot more effort than it does today. And we see again the concept of Amirah La'akum, of speaking or asking a non-Jew to violate Shabbat. Is it appropriate for a Jewish person to ask a non-Jewish person to do something on their behalf on the Sabbath? The conclusion here, as elsewhere, depends on the nature of the task. If it's a violation of the Torah, then the answer is no, because the Ten Commandments specify that Sabbath observance applies to the resident in your midst as well. Gercha asher Sharacha. If the act in question violates only a rabbinic enactment, then you have a little bit more leeway. The question of whether the task at hand is necessary in order to preserve life, enjoy Shabbat, or perform a mitzvah will also come into play. There's a fascinating book by Jacob Katz called The Shabbos Goy, a study in halachic flexibility, that looks at these questions in more depth and portrays them in the context of the historical realities in which Jews lived. For our purposes, though, we can point out that heating water on Shabbat would be seen as a violation of a Torah commandment, and therefore asking a non-Jew to do it would still fall into that category, while transporting already heated water only violates a rabbinic enactment, and so therefore it's a rabbinic enactment on top of rabbinic enactment, and therefore it is less of an issue to bring the water from somewhere else than it is to heat new water in the location where it's needed. This debate, however, leads to a side question. If Abaye and Rava, two great sages, lived in this courtyard, why didn't they have an Eruv or a Shittuf? And indeed, Rava Barav Khanin asked this very question of Abaye. And Abaye responds, Well, Rava is my teacher, and it's beneath his dignity to do so, to go and gather the food necessary to make a shituf, and I'm too busy with my studies. Furthermore, he says, the others in the neighborhood don't care if there is one or not, and I don't have the time to gather the food from them, or the money to provide enough for my own resources to make the Eruv happen. The idea is since the shituf the food that makes the Eruv valid, belongs to all the residents, any of them could come to demand it, and Abayi doesn't have the money to provide a sufficient quantity of food for that purpose, let alone if people start taking it. I find this question fascinating. What's the obligation of sages and rabbis today? to support the rest of the community. Are there tasks, even of a religious nature, let alone in the larger world, that are beneath the dignity of the rabbi? Or is the rabbi's time more valuable than that of everyone else? Historically, the answer has clearly sometimes been yes. In some communities, rabbis were exempted from the taxes placed on the rest of the community. And the sages, in discussion of the commandment of returning a lost object, exempted their own, when it would be beneath his dignity, to stoop down and pick it up. In Israel at the moment, there's a huge debate over whether those who are engaged in yeshiva study full-time should be excused from playing the role that most other Israeli men and many women play in trying to defend the country. So isn't that a bit self-serving? On the other hand, we can recognize that with the development of the rabbinate as a profession or a career, that the sages, in choosing that profession, or that rabbis often give up opportunities for self-support that would be far more lucrative. Is it appropriate for the community to recognize that reality? I'll take myself as an example. I am very much a part of my congregational community, but I don't pay dues to it. I may make a contribution from time to time. Other organizations in my community may offer a subsidy or a reduced rate to community rabbis to enable their participation Does that mean those rabbis are taking advantage? Or perhaps it's a quid pro quo for the non-financial support that they might offer to those organizations through their participation. In fact, sometimes the converse is true. There may be a community gold where the rabbi, him or herself, might be the most supportive and the greatest advocate, but he or she, like Abaye, doesn't have access to the funds or other resources to make that goal happen in the absence of support of those around them. Sometimes rabbis may be stuck because there isn't someone else with the resources and the interest to move things forward. So what role do rabbis play in the support of your community? Hands-on? As donors? As fundraisers? Do they do more or less than Abaye and Rabbah? I hope you've enjoyed today's episode
0: of Daily Daf Differently. And that you'll join us again tomorrow for a new page. The music at the opening close of this episode is Ufros from the Epic Chorus album One Bead, available on Bandcamp, iTunes, and Spotify.